dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see the headlights on both ends of my day this country Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. In this week's episode, we're going to bring you the stories you might have missed in the November 2nd print edition, and I'll bring us the latest on the grain markets. Hey, that's right, Kayleen. Uh, By the way, folks, if you haven't heard already, to show its support for 4-H, High Plains Journal will be donating 25% of all subscription revenue to 4-H now through December 31st. So there's no better time to start, renew, or gift a High Plains Journal subscription. Visit hpjsubscribe.com to get started. Again, that's hpjsubscribe.com. Sign up online and 25% of your subscription rate will benefit 4-H. And folks, you can look for interviews with 4-H families and volunteers about how the program has provided opportunity for all. So Kayleen, the political ads are done. We are, re- we are recording this November 4th. Obviously, we're still counting votes because that's what we do in America. We count the votes. <laughs> um, but I did hear that on one of the local TV stations, they announced on November uh, 3rd that they ran its last political ad of the season at 2.39 p.m. Central Time. Hallelujah. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) To, To those outside of the media, you have to understand, this is kind of a necessary evil for media outlets every two years. Because those campaign ads, they pay some bills. They pay to keep the lights on of your local newspapers, of your local news outlets, your TV and radio stations. Um, that's, that's harvest time for folks in the media. That makes sure that you have people that are going to be sitting in your city council meetings, in your, um, in, your, in your county commissioner meetings, in your school board meetings. And um, going to your local games, right, Kayleen? You you um, actually have a, a history of working in local media, so you know how it works. Yeah, it's it's a very fine line that you walk when you live in a small town and work at the newspaper. <laughs> you know, one of the things that um, I did when I was an intern at the Harrington Times in Harrington, Kansas was I got to sit in on um, school board meetings and county commission meetings and the and the like. And it's your bread and butter for local news. And, and there's a reason why we have those, um, why we do that. You know, what if you don't know what the county commission is doing with your tax money, your local tax dollars, how do you know how to vote next go around? You know? Well, and, and it's that learning about the community and who's in charge of what and where the dollars go. And also, as a news reporter, you get to see what is going on and 
you know, possible story leads and different ideas as far as the paper goes and what we're reporting. So, I mean, it's just not to report what's going on at the meeting. It's to make the net, the contacts to talk to the other people that are there and learn about the community. You know, that's what's so sad with so many small town newspapers and local newspapers getting conglomerated and bought up by big corporations. Um, they strip that local tie to the news com- community and they strip it out because it, it costs money. It costs, you know, somebody has to have a salary, a living wage to to create the news that goes into your local newspaper, right? And it I wouldn't call it a living wage, but it's a wage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you remember, yeah, when you were, you know, fresh out of college in the early 2000s and you thought, ooh, 20 grand a year. I am rolling high in high cotton, right, Kayleen? Well, that was more money than I had before because I didn't have a job when I was in college. <laughs> I think that was more money than I'd ever seen. And and um, when when that salary was waved in my face at, at some point in time, I went, okay. And my dad was actually one going, honey, have you put pen to paper? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, like we said, this is, nobody's going to get rich in journalism folks. And the only reason why, you know, every time I see a political ad, um, during a political season, whether it's a mudslinging, whatever ad, or it's some cheesy, you know, Hey, look, I'm down to earth because I drive a pickup and I've got brand new work gloves that, you know, some aide bought me at the tractor supply on our way to the shoot. (laughs) Um, whatever the ad is, I look at it and go, you know what, that's paying for somebody's salary next year. So yeah, just bear, grin and bear with it. So that way somebody next year is at the next county commission meeting. Um, I talk about all that, Kayleen, because, uh, you know, who, who really taught me a lot about politics and I am by no means a political expert by any stretch of the imagination, but, uh, Dr. Barry Flinchbaugh. And, um, I don't know if you saw the news this week, Kayleen, but, uh, the world of Kansas agriculture and agriculture in the United States in general. Um, we lost a, a lion this week, Dr. Flinchbaugh, professor emeritus of ag economics at K-State. Um, he passed away. A lot of people called him many names, most of which are actually, um, you know, repeatable, repeatable. <laughs> you know, uh, he was a kingmaker, a policy wonk, the grand poobah, but, um, a lot of folks, my age, a lot of folks, our parents age called him mentor. Um, Kayleen, did you ever run into, to Flinchbaugh? I think the only time I really got to listen to him was at Cattleman's Day a few years ago at K-State. And my husband happened to go with me to that meeting and he really got a kick out of him and, he was talked for days after that meeting about what Barry had talked about. And it was kind of cool to get to, to listen to him. And after hearing all the stories, you know, from Jenny and Larry and all the other people on staff that got to talk with him. So it was kind of neat. So at K-State, it was just a given that you were going to take Flinch Boss policy class. Unless you actually were just like, yeah, no, thank you. I don't think I need to go the policy route. And I was that timid 19, 20 year old kid that was like, 
no way am I going to take that class because he was, he had a reputation for being kind of gruff. Okay. And if you didn't really crack that exterior and understand that there was actually a gooey heart in there, (laughs) he would scare the bejeebers out of you. Okay. Um, He had a reputation for putting you on the hot seat if you weren't prepared. Um, He'd always say you need to sit in the front rows because that's where, um, that's where the, the learning happens. You know, Um, I can remember being at a farm bureau meeting, um, Kansas farm bureau meeting, and it was a young farmer and rancher meeting. So obviously a lot of young couples with a lot of young babies and, you know, somebody would always be sitting there bound. I mean, there was usually 10 or 20 babies being you know, bounced on knees, trying to keep them quiet while flinch balls on the stage talking. Right. And inevitably one would start crying and he, and he'd always kind of say, you know what, folks, that's okay. Cause that's the sound of the next generation here. And they need to be at these meetings, learning what you're learning. And I always thought that was really a great thing for somebody who literally had presidents on speed dial and they would take his calls and you can call him partisan. You could say, you know, everybody said that he was one way or another, right? But this man really did not give two whatevers <laughs> what your political leanings were. He didn't care what the letter at the end of your name was. Red, blue, purple, did not matter. As long as at the end of the day, you got the job done for farmers and ranchers, that's all that mattered. And so I just, I remember in Carl Kayleen, um, he would talk about there are kings and there are kingmakers. And sometimes it's a lot easier to be the king because you're just the face. And that was his way of telling us, you know what, you can be a leader out there, but you got to surround yourself with people that have your best interests at heart and are smart. And that really stuck with me. Um, I wonder if, if more leaders had a Barry Flinchbaugh in their lives, if we'd be in a different position today, Kayleen, I'm, I, I'm sure sad we lost him. I, I really wish I would have taken that class from him. I wish you would have taken the class from him, Kayleen, got to know him better, (laughs) but, um, yeah, who are, who would be a mentor in your life? You ever thought about that? Who do you trust with that title? No, I I haven't thought about that. <laughs> I just I don't know. It seems like I collect bits and pieces from lots of other other people and kind of make it my own in some way. I don't I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Dr. Flinchbaugh, we're gonna be sad that we don't get to run into you and um that stub of your cigar. <laughs> but uh we know you're in a better place. So farewell, sir. Farewell, Kingmaker. Um, moving on, Kayleen, it was Halloween. How are the kids? Um, are they coming out of the candy comas yet? Well, I had to take away the candy because <laughs> we went to a couple different Halloween things. And one was the Saturday before Halloween where they got just a little bit of candy and it was gone that evening. That was their supper. Then we went to the downtown trick-or-treat in Cimarron, which they wanted to go because their cousin was going to go. And 
they trick or treat all the businesses down Main Street in Cimarron. And there was probably half of the kids that there normally is. And of course, you know, it's on a weekday at four o'clock in the afternoon. So it's going to be s- slower, but I think, you know, the pandemic kind of put a halt on some of that. And there was one business that had built this little thing where the candy slides down. It was a mummy. It was kind of cool. And the boys thought it was kind of neat. So they devoured all that candy they collected. And <laughs> so we went back uh, to Cimarron on Saturday on Halloween. There's one neighborhood in there that usually goes all out. I mean, the houses are decorated. There's lots and lots of kids. And again, it was pretty, pickings were kind of slim. And one of the moms had stayed home to watch the house, you know, make sure that there was any trick-or-treaters that came by her house. And she's like, you guys are back already? Because <laughs> we weren't gone very long. Yeah. But, I saw a lot of those candy slides here in Dodge City. I think that was a, that's a fun way to interact with kids, you know? Yeah, it was kind of cool. Um, Well, I actually did not hand out candy this year. I was kind of feeling under the weather. So I I hunkered down, watched some old movies. You can't beat the Wolfman in black and white with uh, Lon (laughs) Chaney Jr. as as a a Halloween viewing treat. Um, I'm a sucker for Turner Classic Movies, old black and white Halloween stuff, monster (laughs) movies. I got, I gotta say I'm a sucker for him. Yeah. We didn't watch any, any scary movies or anything. <laughs> uh, the fella and I, we rewatched scream. It was on TV the other night, you know, before Halloween, mm-hmm. it came out in 1996, no 1997 Kayleen. Yeah. I remember that. And, uh, when, when the cop goes, what's a teenager like you doing with a cell phone? (laughs) Bella and I looked at each other and went, wow. Do you remember when cell phones were like expensive? Really expensive? They are expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's like this Nokia brick. And when he dropped it on the floor, you expected there to be a ding in the earth because it was so heavy. (laughs) Yeah. I've tried to explain to my child what a bag phone is and he doesn't quite understand. <laughs> He's like, did you carry it with you? I'm like, no, it stayed in the pickup. <laughs> well, then how could you, how could you call and play games if it was in the pickup? <laughs> you go back to the pickup and it didn't have games. <laughs> I don't know what, what was I, I was watching something and they were cracking jokes about, um, oh, it was a, another, another show. Again, I was sick this weekend, so I was watching a lot of TV and they were joking about um, taking a self, uh, a, a photo with your cell phone. Oh man, look, it's like 0.5 megapixels and all it is, is just this blur of two faces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, back in our day, kitties. Back in our day, <laughs> we didn't have iPhone twelve X thousands, whatever they are now, where you can shoot videos on panoramic. Who's he? What's it? I mean, holy buckets, Kayleen. Yeah, it's gotten outrageous. Completely outrageous. I mean, heavens to Betsy, and I gotta say, I, my eyes are glued to my phone, Kayleen. <laughs> yeah, I know mine are. I never thought I'd be that way. (laughs) Well, folks, how are you all doing out there? How's the uh, candy situation at your houses? Drop us a line at hpjtalk at hpj.com. Let us know. 
or call us at 1-800-452-7171. And do us a favor and head over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcast and leave us a review. Well, the kids are probably all hopped up on Halloween sugar, so uh, turn up the speakers to tune them out and ride with us here on HPJ Talk. This week's cover story is by Lacey Newland. Cattle buying is virtually a click away in 2020. Livestock sales made a virtual shift to online during the height of the coronavirus pandemic in 2020. Kristen Parman, Livestock Marketing Association Vice President of Member Services, told Lacey that many in the industry were afraid that moving auctions to online platforms because of crowd limitation rules would mean less online participation. Fortunately, in the first few weeks of the pandemic and crowd limit rules, members of LMA saw a 500% increase in buyer registration requests across the LMA auction platform. Danny Jones, president of Superior Livestock Auction, also told Lacey that the online auction environment hasn't been a hindrance to buyers or sellers. And he says he's seen that the virtual shift opened the doors to online and televised auction that introduced it to a whole new audience of bidders. You know, Kayleen, all it took was a, a, a spark, wasn't it? You know, yeah, to, to really move people to using the technology that's been available to them for what, 20 years or so? We yeah, had video auctions. Yeah. So, and I, I noticed in Lacey's story too, that she had mentioned, uh, the folks at Superior mentioned that it's actually um, healthier for the cattle to be shipped directly from the ranch to the buyer's location and not go through a sale barn um, where they can pick up diseases and they can pick up health problems. And, and uh, it's one, one time shipping and, and they get there and they're um, healthier and happier and they can get readjusted quicker and back on feed quicker. So um, it's good for the cattle. It's, it's good for the buyers and the bidders. What, what can you say? Not too shabby. Yeah. Well, Kayleen, you wrote about the Tri-National Agricultural Accord, a collaborative effort for trade and development. Uh, Members of the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture and their state and provincial counterparts from Mexico and Canada met virtually uh, October 20th to 23rd for the 29th annual Tri-National Agricultural Accord. The accord renewed its commitment to the USMCA trade agreement, which was entered into force July 1st. U.S. Secretary of Ag Sonny Perdue said it was great news that the three nations renewed their commitment to the USMCA. Quote, when our three nations prosper, so does the rest of the world, end quote. We got word last week that the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency approved a new five-year registrations for two over-the-top dicamba products, Extendamax with vapor grip technology and Ingenia herbicide, and extended the registration of an additional dicamba product, Tavium Plus Vapor Grip Technology. The registrations are only for use on dicamba-tolerant cotton and soybeans and will expire in 2025. Read more about this on page four of this week's print High Plains Journal. On the Opinions and Editorials page, editor Dave Bergmeier's column this week, Cold Weather Reminder, Mother Nature Holds Many Cards. 
A letter to the editor comes to us from Greg Haynes, CEO of Cattleman's Beef Board, the beef checkoff, beef demand as a well-primed pump. And Dave also posts a book review of Welcome to the Agrihood by Anna D. Simone. Read more on the variety of ag issues facing farmers and ranchers in the Print High Plains Journal, or look for it online anytime at www.hpj.com. And remember, High Plains Journal will be donating 25% of all subscription revenue to 4-H now through December 31st. So there's no better time to start, renew, or gift an HPJ subscription. Visit hpjsubscribe.com to get started. Again, that's hpjsubscribe.com. Sign up online and 25% of your subscription rate will benefit 4-H. And if you have a response to something you've read or heard, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. We want to hear from you. This is Jessica with uh, Soul Health You, and I have with me Robert Harrington. He is the co-founder and CEO of Prairie Food. Robert and his team will be joining High Plains Journal to produce Soul Health You this year, which is really, really exciting. Um, they have agreed to be one of our premier partners, Welcome, Robert. Tell me a little bit about yourself and tell me a little bit about this company. Oh, well, thank you, Jessica. We're excited to be part of the part of the Soil U this year. Um, myself, I'm a serial entrepreneur growing up in Western Kansas and have an affinity towards agriculture. And uh, this is my eighth startup company. Uh, Prairie Food is, is, is all about agriculture and all about Mother Nature. And what we're doing with, with, with Prairie Food is we've developed a way to be able to take waste biomass like manures or corn stalks or grains, waste grains, whatever it might be, and deconstruct it down to the molecular level and reconstruct it into uh, what we call Prairie Food. And doing that, we do essentially the same thing that Mother Nature does, but instead of in 400 million years, we do it in less than one second. That is absolutely amazing. And when we were talking earlier, you had told me that the way that this process works, your, I don't know, would you call it a factory or your, your, uh, you know, your, your unit is about the size of a shipping container. And the whole idea is you would be able to go to a larger feedlot system and be able to utilize the manure that comes off of there. Just walk me through that process a little bit. And the end result is what you guys call prairie food. Oh, that, that's a great question. What's different about what we're doing that's been done in the past is most of the, the, the biomass processing plants in the past are very big. They're $200 million or more. And they import or truck, truck biomasses long distances and they try to get the scale by being very efficient and very big. What we did is took a different perspective on it, and we looked at it through process intensification. And we took that $200 million plant and reduced it down to the size of a cargo container. So instead of moving the biomass to the centralized plant, we moved the plant to where the biomass is being made. And thus, we have a very cost-effective way. Our, uh, our motto is we never want to move biomass more than 300 feet. That's amazing. Well, I am really excited to hear more about Prairie Food 
And all of us that are listening today, book your registration for Soul Health U. You can go to our website, www.soulhealthu.net. Get registered to attend, and you're going to hear more from Robert and his team about Prairie Food. And um, I guess just to end here, I was looking at your website. Prairie Food is the superfood that feeds the soil. Thank you so much, Robert. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, no, just everybody come to the Soil Health U. The world is changing, and Prairie Food wants to be the catalyst to make it a cleaner and better planet for our children and theirs to come. Brilliant. Well, thanks for being on the podcast with us today, Robert. We'll be talking to you soon. Your grain market prices from Dodge City's Pride Agri Sources on October 27th. Corn was up at $4.36. Wheat was down at $5.19. Milo was up at $5.16. And soybeans were up at $9.97. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters on our website, www.hpj.com slash signup. Simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Be sure to watch for our sorghum added value issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes November 9th with a story from Kayleen. And look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com podcast. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again, folks, for riding along with us as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. Dirt road in a gooseneck. Saddle up with me Dry land in God's country Crops far as I can see Headlights on both ends